Hello and welcome to this edition of Wineskins. I'm your host, Father Jim Corda. Wineskins features reflections on the lives of the saints and the sacred scriptures, along with thoughts on a variety of topics and issues from a Catholic perspective. It is brought to you by the annual Diocesan Appeal, the Catholic Communication Campaign, and St. Paul's Catholic Books and Gifts, a division of the Society of St. Paul. On our show today, we will enjoy an interview that I have with Sister Pat McNicholas. We will also look at the life and times of St. Jude, and we will hear a reflection on the readings for this 30th Sunday in Ordinary Time. That and more coming up on Wineskins. In our current issue today, we will hear from Dr. Tracy Lamont. With me now is Dr. Tracy Lamont, who is the director of the Loyola Institute for Ministry and assistant professor of religious education and young adult ministry. Welcome to Wineskins. Thank you. I'm grateful to be here. I love your first Friday presentation. First of all, talking about Gen Z. We're going to talk a little bit more about that, but can you define that for us? Oh, I'll do my best. <laughs> so, <laughs> so right now I do a lot of work with young adult ministry. So mm-hmm. our Gen Z is kind of our youth and young adults right now. You know, so folks that are about in their mid-20s, right now. And so it's still youth, still adolescents and young adults. So they are youngest young adults in many ways. And so the millennials are kind of creeping into their 30s at this point, And our Gen Zers are coming into their 20s at this point. So the oldest Gen Z could be by this point, 27 by now-ish. Yeah. You know, it's interesting as I hear about that age group, yeah. many of those people kind of get lost, kind yeah. of get left out, yeah. whether it's institution, church, whatever. Yeah. They kind of are finding themselves in learning about who they are and how they fit in the world. Why is it so difficult sometimes for that age group? Do you have five hours? Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) It's not unique to Gen Z. It's Mm. generational, you know. So the young adult years are years of finding yourself, of transition. Some go to college and move away. Some do not. Some move away for jobs. You know, it's very hard to find work a lot of times. You have to go to wherever those jobs are. And it's hard for people in ministry and in other organizations to minister to them because they're known to be very transient, you know, like coming in and out, but they're looking for work, they're looking for employment, they're looking Mm -hmm. for school, you know, and so that makes them on the move a lot, and that's hard to nail down sometimes, but also they're finding themselves as adults. They're outside the confines of the home sometimes, some of them Mm -hmm. stay at home, but Maybe they're a little lax on the rules, you know, because they're not in high school anymore. Right. And and so the social surround that keeps us in high school, your coaches, your teachers, mm-hmm. all of that's gone after high school. And so it yeah. changes the pace of life. You're now out on your own in a way. Mm-hmm. You're finding yourself. You're meeting new relationships. You're having new experiences. And you got to figure out what that means as who you are. You're developing right. your sense of self. And so mm-hmm. it's a big transition period for a lot of people for a long time. It's not like, oh, I'm 18, I graduated high school. By 21, I'm going to have it together. You're not going to have it together. Right. I mean, you might, God bless you. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like it's going to take until maybe your 30s to really start right. figuring out, like, this might be who I am, who God's calling me to be, if that's a question that you're asking of mm-hmm. yourself, you know. So there's a lot happening in that period of time that yeah. makes it more challenging to minister to that generation because they're moving so much, you know. And so a lot of times we try to do event-based ministries, you know, mm-hmm. and when we do that, we look at the numbers and like, oh, 20 people came and so-and-so doesn't come anymore because they moved. Well, they moved, they moved. And then your numbers get down. Mm-hmm. And so the event-based ministry isn't really supporting any of this transitional nature, and it's just natural for young adults to be transitional, you know. And so we have to kind of adapt our thinking when it comes to ministry based around this age group and this population. Let's talk about the spiritual aspect. Are they very spiritual 
Are they very religious? I know there's a difference. Yes. So there's been the ongoing phraseology from the millennials to this generation, Gen Mm -hmm. Z, that they are spiritual and not religious. That's kind of the the labels that are Mm -hmm. coming about. But more and more we're finding with this generation is they're deeply hungry for a sense of spirituality, whether they could name it as that or not, belonging and community. And those are things that the church can do. But we really have to change the way our churches are ministering with Mm -hmm. people. It can't focus solely on sacramental preparation, you know. So they are, they're hungry. And a lot of them are finding spirituality outside the church. You know, that's what the latest CARA report was showing us. They're finding small Christian communities thriving in those, Mm -hmm. but they're not related to the institutional Catholic Church because they can't find them in the church, you know. So there's opportunity there. It's just going to take some innovation on our part as ministry leaders. And what would you say to the folks that are with us that are the seasoned Catholics that have been around for a long time that sometimes feel intimidated by those different age groups? What can they do to be more welcoming? Listen, that's the biggest thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's with the other phrases that we use a lot is putting people before programs, yeah. you know, to really be intentional about forming relationships. Because when you know someone and you know their story, they're not intimidating anymore. You yeah. know, that's mm-hmm. been my experience at least, you know. And so just something that we're doing with our field project, we have a big grant project to do help parishes do young adult ministry. We're mm-hmm. working with a parish here in Youngstown. We're excited about that. And what we're trying to do is help people really create intentional listening sessions mm-hmm. to have small groups of young adults come in and say, what do you love about your faith? What challenges you about mm-hmm. your faith? What can we do to move forward? And design programming around that, you know, and then keep listening. The first thing Jesus did when he rose from the dead in Luke's gospel was listen on the road to Emmaus. Like, the first thing he did when he rose from the dead was listen. Like, I can't emphasize that in my own heart enough, you know. And so... That, to me, helps break down those intergenerational divides. Like, we think we're older, we think young people are on their phones, that they don't care. We have a lot of assumptions we've created about our understanding of young people that might not be true when you actually talk to them, you know? And so listening is what I would say. (laughs) Well, Dr. Tracy Lamont from the First Friday Club, we thank you so much for your presence on Wineskins. We'll look forward to your presence next week. And so we'll talk a little bit more about that. But thank you for your presentation. Thank you for having me today. It was a joy. For Wineskins, I'm Father Jim Corda. To tell us more about the life and times of St. Jude is Diana Hentarenko. She is the young adult minister at St. Angel Marici Church in Youngstown. Jude is listed as one of the 12 apostles and is purported to be the writer of the epistle that bears his name. Tradition says that Jude, along with Simon, traveled to Persia, Arabia, and Mesopotamia. Finally, he went to the city of Edessa. Images of Jude often show him holding the image of Edessa, a holy square of cloth upon which an image of the face of Jesus appeared. The image of Edessa is considered the first icon of Christ. This image came to Edessa when the king there wrote to Jesus, asking him to come and heal him. Jesus replied, saying that he would send one of his disciples. So impressed with the king's faith, Jesus pressed his face into the cloth and gave it to the messenger to assure the king his disciple would visit. Some accounts say the disciple Jude was chosen to travel to Edessa to deliver the sign from Jesus. The king was healed and all the people under his rule converted to Christianity as a response. Jude is a disciple plagued with an identity crisis. He is distinguished from Judas Iscariot and also noted as Jude of James in the Gospel of St. Luke and the Acts of the Apostles. 
He is referred to as the brother of Jesus in St. Matthew and St. Mark's Gospels. In the apostolic lists of St. Matthew and St. Mark, no Jude appears, but there is a Thaddeus. Some biblical scholars have suggested Jude and Thaddeus are the same person, and Thaddeus was a nickname. Other scholars disagree, stating that Jude and Thaddeus are different people. Jude is most commonly known as the patron saint for the hopeless and despaired, and the patron saint of lost causes. This patronage inspired comedian Danny Thomas to found St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Thomas, awaiting the birth of his first child and struggling with his career, went to Mass and placed his last $7 in the offertory plate. He offered prayers to St. Jude to provide him enough to pay bills for a while. He then promised St. Jude a shrine. Years later, Thomas kept that promise by founding the American Lebanese Syrian Associate Charities, which serves as the fundraising organization of St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. In prayer, we say to St. Jude, O oh God, we thank you for the glorious company of the apostles, and especially on this day for Jude. And we pray that, as he was faithful and zealous in his mission, so we may, with ardent devotion, make known the love and mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. For Wineskins, I'm Diana Hancharenko. Joining me is Sister Pac-Ming Nicholas, who is an Ursuline sister of Youngstown. Welcome to Wineskins. Thank you, Father Corda. It's my pleasure to be here. You know, this year, the diocese is celebrating the 80th anniversary. Obviously, the diocese was formed in 1943. None of us really knows what went on back then on that date, but yet, interestingly enough, you were born in that year. So tell us a little bit about times then as you were growing up here in Youngstown. Yeah, it was interesting. I looked up the history of the diocese in preparation for coming here and realized Bishop McFadden was named as Bishop of Youngstown and the diocese was formed the same month that I was born. I grew up on the south side of Youngstown in a very Catholic family. We were members of St. Dominic's and active there, attended school there, and it was just that kind of world we don't have anymore where our cousins all lived in town and we saw extended family often and it was a lot of things revolved around the parish. St. Dominic's was building the church that's still there was new when I was in eighth grade and our art projects were understanding all the symbolism. And when I was in fourth grade, that's before Vatican II, but when I was 10, the textbook for religion class was a missal. And we spent the whole year studying the mass and the colors of the vestments mm -hmm. and learned all of that as young children. It wasn't that kind of just stilted catechism questions. It was a pretty innovative school at that time. And of course, the Ursuline sisters were here long before the formation of the diocese in 1943. Talk about the beginnings of the Ursuline community here in the Diocese of Youngstown. The community was formed in 1874, and so we were still part of the Cleveland Diocese, but the community had a history that when people moved and it was to found a new foundation, was not a, an extension of Cleveland. So when the sisters came, the intent was they would be 
a new foundation, and six of them came from Cleveland. One of them was named Sister Angela Brown, and her brother was the pastor of the cathedral. So that was the that was the and that was the attraction. He was Mm -hmm. requesting some of the sisters to come, and our records show that they came and they started working at St. Columba. But they started the Ursuline Academy within four days of being here, and within the convent they started an academy for girls. And that academy then in 1905 became the high school, but it was founded in 1874. So. Ursuline High School has a very long history connected with us. And of course, the Ursuline sisters have been with us really before the beginning of the Diocese of Youngstown, like many other religious communities in our time and area. But what has been the legacy of the Ursulines over these 80 years for the diocese? What would you point as What are some of the highlights of the community? I think in terms of the diocese, its history, our sisters were very much a part of the formation of the diocese itself. Sister Jerome was the assistant superintendent, and they used to tell me when I came to work at the diocese that the forms she created in 1953 were still in use, you know, and then Sister Marianne Coase established the media library and was an institution down here. That interest in communications and media was certainly beneficial. And then the sisters moved outside of the city. We had sisters in Wellsville and East Palestine and Latonia at different times doing schools farther away. So we never expanded as far north, but we were more extensively in Columbiana County. Let's talk of your time here at the diocese, namely in religious education. When you came into that position, what was going on and how did it progress under your leadership? During the time I was here, we were at the stage of developing a strong educational program to train religion teachers because it was the era where there was more and more lay people teaching religion who didn't have a particular background. And so we had an extensive training program for both CCD teachers and for Catholic school teachers. And there were probably 20,000 people that we were trying to train and set up standards and training. We also established annual big convention for religious education and an extension program with Loyola University that we still have to enable people to get a master's degree. And as we look kind of forward, not just to the next 80 years, but look forward to our 100th anniversary as a diocese. What, in your estimation, would be something we could lift up and be proud of in 100 years? I would hope that what we would be proud of, that we had an an extensive, well-known outreach, not only to Catholics, but to non-Catholics, to ecumenism, to the poor. I mean, I feel very strongly the quality of work that Catholic Charities has done over the years and continues to do, and its focus is on the poor and the work of St. Vincent de Paul. In every parish, all the people I've worked with, we access the services of both of those institutions, and I think that's something very strong in the Catholic tradition Mm -hmm. and in this diocese. We would be remiss if our last few minutes wouldn't be to lift up the work of the Ursuline Sisters in many areas, whether it's Beatitude House, AIDS Ministry, teaching 
So why is that important for your community's charism to continue that work of, of Angela Marici? Angela called people to change with the times and respond to the needs of her times. Mm-hmm. In her time in 1535, the need was for women to have opportunities, and she reached out to young women and provided them with inspiration. We also, doing that today, look at who's in need, and it's women and children, the poor, those suffering from HIV AIDS. And so our attempt is always to respond to those needs appropriately in our time. Well, Sister Pacman Nicholas, you're certainly part of the legacy of the Ursuline community here in Youngstown from its humble beginnings in 1874. And we thank you for your ministry, particular with Beatitude House, and also for the presence of the Ursuline sisters. I happily was taught by the Ursulines back at Immaculate Conception and then at Ursuline High School. So I have a long history with the Ursuline community, which I'm very grateful for. So thank you for being part of that and for celebrating with us the 80th anniversary of the Diocese of Youngstown. Thank you very much. For more information and to listen to Wineskins, visit the website www.catholicecho.org. Stay with us. We'll be right back. 33 million Americans have descended into poverty. And as their futures fall, so does our nations. Our music today is provided by the Kellenberg Memorial High School Choir. It is from their CD called The Living Christ. I believe in the sun I believe in the risen one I believe I overcome By the power of his blood Amen Amen I'm alive, I'm alive because he
On this 30th Sunday in Ordinary Time, we will hear more about the Sacred Scriptures by Deacon William Wanio. One of my favorite books is entitled The Boy, the Mole, the Fox, and the Horse. It is a book that illustrates not only friendship, but also what it means to love. It relates very well to our gospel today and to our other readings for this, the 30th Sunday in Ordinary Time. It's not every weekend that our readings all mesh so well together, but this Sunday, all three, including the psalm response, call us to love. The first reading tells us how we should treat other people, especially the poor, the oppressed, and the marginalized. The second reading reminds us that How we live our lives should show that we are followers of Jesus Christ. And in the gospel, Jesus gives the great commandment and the famous golden rule. In other words, love of God finds its expression in our love for our neighbor. Let us first turn to the gospel. We find another continuation of the Pharisees trying their very best to trick Jesus into saying something that they could use against him to incriminate him and place him on trial. Yet, once again, Jesus is not fooled by their malicious behavior. Jesus answers the Pharisees' questions with a twofold summary. Jesus says that all of the commandments can be summarized in just two. Love God and love your neighbor. Both of these are central elements of our religious tradition and of the Jewish religious tradition that Jesus knew well in his time. Our other two readings, and even the responsorial psalm, stress the same point of love. How we act, how we treat others, and how we love is an expression of our love and service to the Lord. Everything we say and do is a witness to our love for God. It is no coincidence that the first reading from the book of Exodus remains true even today. Many of us don't understand or we do a poor job at welcoming the stranger and the alien among us. We don't know how to care for the needs of the poor, the widow, and the orphan. We can do better. We must do better. And we cannot blame others for our own lack of care. But 
we must correct our own biases and prejudice and help others to do the same. We must lead by example. We must never be afraid to call out to God, I love you, Lord. You are my strength, as the psalm reminds us. Because in doing so, we show other people, our brothers and sisters among us, that we rely on the love of the Lord. We rely on the strength of God to walk with us on this journey of faith. This leads us to the words of St. Paul to the Thessalonians, where he reminds us that we do know the people who are among us. We know them well. We know all of the people who support our mission in spreading the gospel message. And sadly, we know the people who are against us in our mission as well. We must become and remain an example for all people. We must be filled with the joy and the love of the Gospels that the Lord has given to us. This is an example to people that even in times of unrest and affliction and persecution, we have hope. We have something that our persecutors and those who are against us do not have. We have the power of God and the Holy Spirit that gives us life. We have that on our side to guard us and to one day bring us to the safety of our heavenly home. We only have the mercy and grace of God when we ask for his help in prayer and seek the forgiveness when we fail, when we participate in the sacraments and build up the kingdom here on earth. No one said, this is going to be easy. Not even Jesus said that. But if we turn to the book I mentioned earlier, The Boy, The Horse, The Fox, and The Mule, we must understand that we measure our success in life by love. Love, it's a short four-letter word with an overwhelming impact. So how will you love this week? For Wineskins, I'm Deacon William Wanio. I remember a verse from the book of James. It says, Every worthwhile gift, every genuine benefit comes from above, descending from the Father. Now, if God cares that much about you and me, then our life will not be complete until we learn to love God above all else. And through the saving grace of Jesus Christ, we have the rest of time and eternity to learn that great law of love. Wineskins is made possible through the annual Diocesan Appeal, the Catholic Communication Campaign, and St. Paul's Catholic Books and Gifts. Our program is produced by the Roman Catholic Diocese of Youngstown. I'm Father Jim Corda, thanking you for being with us today. Have a blessed week. And we of Wineskins want to remind you that this Wednesday is the Feast of All Saints, a holy day of obligation. What have you done for your marriage today? I gave my wife a hug this morning. I thought I'd love her. I uh, did her hair this morning. I think it looks pretty good. <laughs> I cooked my husband's uh, favorite breakfast. I bought her an orchid. What have I done for my marriage today? I sent my husband a love email. I read the newspaper to my wife, and it cracked her up. She's, but she's still laughing. <laughs> what have you done for your marriage today? Make a change for the better. Need help? Go to foryourmarriage.org. A message from the Catholic Church. 
They say America is the land of opportunity, but for some, life isn't so easy. Right now in America, one in six children lives below the poverty line. That's nearly 13 million children of all races all across our country. Where do you draw the line and get involved? You can make a difference in more ways than you think. Go to povertyusa.org today because one in six children in poverty is one too many. A message from the Catholic Campaign for Human Development.